Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. Monty Belmonte is still adrift at sea, hoping to find the shoreline soon. And in the meantime, we're doubling down on the good stuff from right here in Western Mass, which for me is general nerddom. It is a huge part of my being and my community here in Western Mass. And so for Juneteenth week, I figured we'd talk with some black nerds about how intersectionality works for them and me with those communities. We'll chat with Garrick Force Perry and Neil Robinson of the Begin podcast about several things nerdy. We tried to hit all the nerdy things, but there's a lot of them, and tangents are the way to get Mandalorian about it. But first... I am here with Revan Chandler and Trenda Lofton, both of whom are worker owners of the Compost Cooperative in Greenfield, which is a really cool organization. And before we get too much into like some of the actualities of what you do, let's talk about how this cooperative came about because I think its origins are really fascinating and really cool. Yeah, so I love the origin story. I also love the origin story of the compost cooperative. I wasn't there for the very, very beginning. I got to hear the rumblings of of what was happening and what was being dreamt up. And so it's fair to say that this came out of a vision of folks incarcerated at the Greenfield Jail, along with Revan and several other folks. Do you want to talk a little bit of that collection? Sure. I think there were a whole number of people working at the Franklin County Sheriff's Office from about 2011 to 2018 who worked with incarcerated people on arts projects. Trenda came in to do a theater project that was really successful and popular. And so there were a lot of educators and spaces for incarcerated people to to develop their analyses of why they were incarcerated and why they kept being pulled back into the system once they got out. And one of the things they identified was the lack not only of living wage work once they came out, but meaningful living wage work that could involve people contributing to their communities. So uh, in 2017, a co-op developer who's been working with us the whole time named Andrew Stockew, who was also teaching at the jail, ran something called a co-op academy in which the first business plan of the compost co-op was developed by incarcerated students. And they came up with the idea of a worker-owned co-op food scraps hauler. I mean, that's really cool. Is that a class that's still taught in Franklin County Corrections? No. It's not taught anymore. And a lot of the a lot of the programs that we worked for many years build slowly and sustainably have ended now. And it to me that just suggests how important it is to to stay on top of something and stay working together and not let things that have required so much work just disappear because it's so much harder to start mm-hmm. them again. Do you think that those classes are part of not just folks who were incarcerated coming in to be a part and worker owners of the compost cooperative, but learning better how to build community for each other in a place that is on occasion outright hostile (laughs) to them for often minor, more minor infraction than people would assume. Definitely, definitely. I think that the, the institution in general, prisons and other similar institutions, really erode people's sense of autonomy and identity and to 
open up spaces within a carceral setting where people can reflect on their lives is very unusual. And so it was a really welcome, inspiring few years. I would say the Compost Co-op rose out of that, those conditions and those people, because there were maybe a dozen of us, including, including Trenda, who contributed to an atmosphere where people felt seen and could be creative and make incredible work and connect with artists in the community. I'm speaking with Reverend Schindler and Trenda Lofton from the Compost Cooperative. So food scraps is what they landed on, which is pretty cool. Did someone in Franklin County teach them how to properly come? Because as anybody growing things at home or looking to deal with their food scraps at home, there are several wrong ways to go about composting things. And to do it on a larger scale seems like a bit of an undertaking. Trenda, who instructed them on how to do it in a way that would be manageable and perhaps even profitable? So it's a really great question. We actually partner with Martin's Farm in Greenfield, who is a commercial composter. So we are a food scraps hauler, meaning that we provide curbside pickup for residential customers who are looking to divert their food scraps. So they aren't necessarily able to compost in their backyard or they're wanting to compost things like meat and cardboard, things that are harder to compost at home. So they can partner with us and list us to come pick up their their food scraps from their curbside. And so we are in the process of learning more about how to actually process the food scraps ourselves. And so one of our other worker owners, Jim Polarity, is envisioning a vermicomposting <laughs> project. So Your now that we just got so excited. Well, it's it's it such, <laughs> such an exciting prospect, right? Because we know that we want to be able to directly provide compost for our customers, which is something we haven't been able to do in the first couple years. But this composting with worms, right, not only opens up a whole nother realm of work for us to be doing, it also makes working with the compost cooperative way more accessible for way more bodies. Mm -hmm. Right now, we've got folks who are hauling five-gallon buckets of food scraps, right? So it's the the lifting and the dumping. And then we've got our commercial customers as well. So we're talking 32-gallon, 56-gallon, 64-gallon. You know, so it's heavy, (laughs) heavy lifting, repetitive motions, right? And we know that not all bodies can do that particular work. And so dreaming into this vermicomposting approach allows us to have a wider range of how folks can be involved with the compost co-op. I don't know if you want to speak more to what that looks like, Revan. Sure. Compost is in our name, and it's always been our intention to make our own compost. But as, as Trenda was saying, there's the largest commercial composter in Western Massachusetts is located in Greenfield. And we didn't have the capital, the equipment to start producing our own compost. Mm -hmm. So after five years, we were able to invest in beginning our own process of producing and selling compost using red wiggler worms and black soldier fly larvae. They are incredible. These larvae are amazing, and they eat meat and bones. They're incredible. They're used in in countries all over the world for agricultural composting. So they will, you know, chew up a cow or a sheep or whatever. And they're amazing creatures. They really are. So we're working. I am with it. looking forward to slash terrified of what the video of this looks like. Oh my God! They're huge. Oh no. 
they're really creepy, but they're also really incredible. Right. And we're working with an engineer at the Rochester Institute of Technology named Sarah Brownell on designing a system that will use some of our materials from our hauling, the hauling side of the business, to feed particular things that the worms and the and the larvae love. <laughs> so can I speak a little bit more oh, to yeah. the question of, Absolutely. of how do we go about learning, right? It wasn't just about how do you haul food scraps, right? We're really talking about how do we build cooperative skills, which one could argue is almost the complete opposite, right, of what folks are taught in schools and in prison systems, right? A huge component of what we do is learn that process. Right. What does it actually mean to be on a pathway of worker ownership where we're like, actually, we want your opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Your ideas are invaluable. Building that space where folks feel like, oh, I can share my opinion and not get in trouble for it. In fact, it's really encouraged. Building a space where folks can be like, hey, I disagree. And that's really encouraged. Building a space where we problem solve together. And it's not like, oh, here's the person who's in in charge who makes all the final decisions, it's really undoing so much of what we've been taught in the variety of systems that all of us have been taught to move through. Mm-hmm. With the added layer of, you know, when folks are coming out of jail or prison, there's a whole nother layer to the undoing, I would say. So you started with just the people's pint. How many clients do you now have? And we can include commercial and residential because, I mean, they're all clients. They all count. So we have about 300 residential, commercial, institutional, and municipal clients. We, oh. we haul for the towns of Conway, Charlemont, and Shelburne. And this is fantastic for our plans to make our own compost because we have all the materials and we can be selective about which we use. And, you know, like worms love cannabis grow materials. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> but black soldier flies do not. <laughs> Worms like to get high, (laughs) and flies just want meat. That's right. (laughs) Remember these lessons, folks. Remember. That's a lot of growth in a short amount of time. I remember one of the early times when I found out about this group existing, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to totally take advantage. And it was the brief period of time when Hampshire County was a part of your, your general radius, which it no longer is. So what areas do you service right now? We serve all the towns around Greenfield, and then we also do commercial pickups in Greenfield. And was it mostly just general operations things that made you have to shrink back after trying to offer this service a little bit further out? Yeah, so great question. We love ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And and vision is really important, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I would say it's not off the table. It just might take a little bit longer to get there. That's exactly right. You heard Revan mention our 13 $15,000 beat up truck. And at the time that we started trying to engage further outside of our current service area, that was the only truck we had. And we had one consistent hauler who was doing a lot of hauling by himself. 
right? And so we learned quickly that that was not a sustainable move. And part of our mission is about sustainability, right? The other piece to that is that, again, our composting partnership was up in Greenfield. So what does it mean for a environmentally responsible business to be journeying down the highway with a big truck (laughs) and then back up the highway now carrying more weight and utilizing more fuel to do so. Yeah, it just like evens it out instead of doing any actual benefit. That's right. That's right. And I think what's true is that we began having some essential conversations with folks in um, Hamden County Mm. around the importance of composting. It was clear that there are people who want to be composting there. And so I'm excited for when we can re-engage that specific conversation. I can say as a Hampton County resident, I am very much looking forward to when I don't have to compost in my own yard. (laughs) Because I don't think I'm very good at it. (laughs) And then I get crittery friends, some of whom are the ones I don't want to see. Keep meat and bones out of your compost (laughs) pile. Put lots of leaves in them and grass clippings. Well, the leaves and glass clippings go straight into my garden, so <laughs> it's mostly food for me. And then, like, some leaves, like some, the extra ones that didn't quite make it in. I actually think, so they they talk about the importance of balancing. What are the browns and greens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you may need to forego some of your grass clippings directly into your garden uh-huh. to keep your your compost in healthy balance with each other. Okay, so this is actually great since like again like if if you're like me and live below Franklin County and you're not able to access this service unlike folks in Franklin County who should absolutely take advantage. But for those of us who can't what are some good composting tips beyond getting worms if you don't have a worm box? Most town transfer stations or DPWs offer like a home composter for much less than you'd pay for it online. You can start with, you know, a bunch of leaves at the bottom, put your food scraps in, keep out dairy, oil, and meat and bones, and turn it every once in a while so it doesn't turn anaerobic, which means no air where the ickiness and the maggots come when there's no air. So it's really fun to make your own soil. And if I weren't part of a business to to encourage people to... Uh, use our service, I would definitely encourage everybody to make their own compost because it's fun to make your own soil. (laughs) You know, it's gorgeous, it smells good, Mm -hmm. and it makes your garden fantastic. So, yeah, balancing the the browns and the greens so that it's not too wet and it's not too dry is really important because the worms, the worms don't like dryness and they don't like too much wet. (laughs) So, grass clippings and leaves. Goldilocks worms, not Mm -hmm. too wet, not too dry, right in the middle. And I would say, you know, there's the acknowledgement that you may not have a backyard to even be thinking, like, let me make my own soil. Let me compost my own food in my own backyard. There are a couple strategies that one might look into to access other composting services, right? And so if you're like me, my brain goes to, what do you mean hold on to my food scraps for a while? It's going to smell. What I would recommend doing is keeping your food scraps in a paper bag and freezing it. By freezing it, it allows you to buy some time, right? And then oftentimes there are municipalities that have a compost bin 
there. So if you go to your your town or city's transfer station, that could be really worth looking into to see if you can save up your food scraps, you know, and make a weekly trip. Composting is so essential for us navigating this climate crisis that we're in. Not only does composting your food scraps reduce the amount of trash that you're producing, you know, you might go, you might be shocked, right? You might go from two bags of trash in a week to one bag of trash in two weeks. And you're not having to take it out because it doesn't smell because there's no food in it, right? The food is the part that makes your trash stink. So by separating that out, you can really feed two birds with one scone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Monty's so sad he didn't, he wasn't here to hear that pun. Without Monty, which is going to be a little weird because usually nerd watch involves him watching me be the nerd. But this time I just get to share my nerddom with two of my favorite black nerds, Garrick Perry and Neil Robinson. Garrick, you're at Jackalope and everywhere else, also in the Alchemistics, also city councilor for Northampton for Ward 4. And we'll lay out your whole CV. Went and, and running for at large this time, too. Oh, we're, we're trying to do more. Oh, expanding. Yeah. Expanding the empire. We were on Team Perry. <laughs> just like Tyler. I love it. You know the valley's small, but you know, you got to you got to share the love. Yes. There's a part of me that wants you to just pitch to the city council of Northampton that they play a game. I know that we've been in deliberation about what the care council actually does why we haven't staffed it yet but you know like i've got these like i've got an extra set of 20 ciders maybe we could just bang out a one shot right now <laughs> a little stress relief for everybody and everybody I, can learn a lesson everybody learns a lesson i often think about what it would be like to run a campaign with the city council of northampton <laughs> uh, i think it would be great can you imagine like i don't know we could like do some theory crafting like who would who would council little barge be what what, what class would she play you really know? Yeah. yeah like think about council president nash he would definitely be like a paladin <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm i'm living next to the druid oh yeah <laughs> you, you got a druid there. <laughs> our, our phenomenal counselor jared yeah yep so, yeah that's my neighbor you sure are and neil robinson who is at gateway city arts in addition Hello. to being one of my bandmates full disclosure but you can also catch him this weekend at the one roof festival with his other band the glad machine the glad machine who you may have heard on this show before but we're not here to talk about music which everybody in this room does that's another nerddom for another day mm-hmm. We're here to talk about nerddom in the classic sense, yes. which covers so much ground. It's And it's constantly covering more ground. But what was your experience growing up as a black nerd? Because it no experience in the black diaspora is singular, but there's definitely some shared things. Well, I, I've got to say is starting out maybe as the as the elder nerd in this, <laughs> in this particular... The crown has been passed. In, in this particular... Uh, Grouping. You know, I, I grew up watching, well, I maybe even start, it might have even started earlier. My mother used to read to me in the womb, which is, you know, accepted practice, but what she would read to me 
would be James Bond books because you really love James Bond books. So growing up, you know, I'd watch Star Trek and then all the Gene Broddenberry things and all the other sci-fi things. And it's, it was funny. You know, you, you'd always think that things, some things made sense, some things didn't. And then somehow in the hometown I grew up in, there was a, a, a miniatures store, which was, I guess, lucky. And they stocked uh, Dungeons and Dragons books. And I remember getting the first Dungeons and Dragon books, which were basically expanded miniatures rules and not, you know, it's maybe 10 or 11 or 12. And just the images kind of really attracted me and I started to read them. And then other people that I met in the store became my friends and you started the OG nerd them. But I, I will put this in a, in a thing at that time. There was I would always be the one like putting representation into the games because there's definitely a sense of at least for that generation where these properties that were being mined for material were European, Northern European specific. You know, uh-huh. If you're talking Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, which is kind of the granddaddy of of epic fantasy. You know, Tolkien explicitly said that he was trying to create mythology for the create English mythology. You know, maybe it just so happens that the dark skinned people are all evil in the, in the thing. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, but yeah, it's, it's a product of the times. And I think that in at least in that kind of early incarnation of nerddom, it kind of infused itself into it. So if you were a black nerd at that time, you had to kind of try to, create your own space within that which i think is very telling of of just you know just our experience in general creating a space in in the world for us you know so that's kind of a a bit of a maybe an extended metaphor but that's how i have come to come to think of it nerdom allows you to to create worlds that center yourself where in reality the world just doesn't Uh, stories are important you know, stories are the things that will survive all of us. And when we can write and create our own stories and our own epics with us in them, and it's not saying this just, just for us, but, you know, everybody, it's here for everybody. It's just a different aspect to it. It's not just, it's like, oh, this is for everybody. It just so happens that there's only white people in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a thing. It just, it just happens to be that way. And surprised when right. you bring it up. They're like, it's totally diverse. We have elves and dwarves. and It's a, it's a product of, of its time. I mean, it, I, I have a lot of love, respect for it. Read all the books and, and imagined it. But it, it definitely was the type of thing where I had to use it to spark my own imagination try to create my own stories because it was definitely it's not saying this is isn't for you but it's more like you're not in this you can enjoy <laughs> it but you know you're not in this right for us what's your what's your oh pick? no no never I, I love hearing your stories and you know my own nerd journey unfortunately does not start with my mom reading awesome books like james bond i, I was raised by my mom and my grandmother you know my mom worked a lot so i took a lot of my refuge in comics and in books. And, um, you know, while I, I saw my dad, it was be occasionally on the weekends. And he in his I vividly remember this in his room when I would visit him every other weekend, he would have comic books pinned up on his wall. Like, I know a lot of nerds would be upset because they literally he was just putting Thumbtacks and pins through. Look, this, you have to remember that this is in the days before anybody gave them value. 
for the most part. So like the value of them was being up on on the wall. So it still hurts me to hear that, though. I know. I know. I had to give that a little caveat. And and so uh, for, for me, it was, you know, comics were a way to connect with my dad who wasn't there, but also like, you know, had these worlds. And. You know, I I found myself. I, I grew up in D.C. in in the area I was in. It wasn't cool for black kids to be into comics and Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. So everyone else that I knew was into uh, basketball and cars, and that just wasn't my thing. So while alt nerd life gave me kind of this outlet, it also was isolating in the same way. Honestly, wasn't until high school and some some other places where I found folks who enjoyed these things. I just fully let people know. I, I went to Georgetown Day, a private school. So outside of my neighborhood, I found people who were into the things I was in. And again, spoiler alert, they're mostly white people who <laughs> love magic. And, you know, I, I grew up in a time where, you know, magic cars, my mom is religious. I come from a Baptist Pentecostal background. And she was like, these are the devil. You can't have them. And so, <laughs> it was really, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, it's not, it's not. So it, yep. it was hard. And I, and I do remember when I had the chance to run across, a, you know, like a, a D&D rule book or something like that, I was the guy who would who'd buy and just read it myself and you know, for me, it was just another text. I tried to imagine what it would be like to have the friends to do that. Um, and, and I say that to say that then, you know, after high school, I, I came to Massachusetts in college, and that's when I started really playing Magic uh, heavily. I, I was away from my family, and then I spent a bunch more money than I should have, <laughs> bought some decks, and we did some <laughs> tournaments and things like that. And then you fast forward to now, and I, I had the pleasure of doing a podcast with my good friend Neil and my brother Iran, uh, aka Catalyst, uh, as well as Blau and Ishmael. And so we started this Begin podcast where we all came from different places, and I thought that was a good you know, journey. You know, I went from a place where I felt isolated in my nerddom to finding uh, other black men to to celebrate my nerddom with. We had plans to have you on the the podcast, Khalees, before the pandemic, and the pandemic kind of shook things up briefly. Since everybody's given their histories, but it, I've mentioned on the show before, like I am a second generation geek. My dad is a giant nerd, and we got our nerddom from him. And there weren't a lot of, in fact, for most of my life there were no brown nerds that looked like me outside of my house luckily my parents gave me plenty of siblings to play with (laughs) so we were all just nerds together we were the family who had friday land and pizza parties so (laughs) because there's six of us so and we had enough computers so that everybody had their own station you just grab your pizza and head out to your land station and then we play on real tournament together my dad introduced me to anime to sci-fi to like i got into DD as a child because they didn't have a babysitter and so so I had to go with my dad to the game he played with my uncles and their friends. And I was so annoying that they gave me a character to play. I would only show up for battles like an agent of chaos and roll things to try and like to have my dwarf hit things. And that was it. I was like six. I had no idea what the rules actually were until high school. Like I thought that it was just like rolling things and moving miniatures. <laughs> so, you playing but... a dwarf is the best thing ever yes right trying to imagine that's that's like the kitty kid Khalees playing a dwarf that's that's just gold yep and then i would go and and read more asimov (laughs) praying for the battles run off elsewhere but yeah my dad got was into like robotech so we got into an we got into anime like like all of the like a lot of my core geekiness comes directly from my dad 
and um, some of his uh, poor book recommendations. There are definitely some things that I got into way too early because it was the 80s. He was 20 and didn't really under didn't understand having a precocious kid who was voraciously reading stuff. So, uh, but I don't blame him. He's kind of he's Loki the best. Yeah. Next to your mom. Now, now we all like kind of anime head the force you do anime i am an omni nerd my nerd knows no bounds so right, i love right. comics i, I, so, I so, so you got some fan of anime mm-hmm. i may or may not have wrote a paper in at amherst college about neon genesis oh, but, on. Like, I really, oh, look i mean for like, philosophy papers you know i'm gonna just put on my my old man hat again <laughs> and just put on my voice and say my day we have the speed racer <laughs> <laughs> Who was in the Mach 5, and then we had the Astro Boy, and we had the Gigantor, who had the big robot, and Johnny Sacco. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, Put on. When you have the big robots the and the big monsters, the way you interact with those big robots and big monsters changed pretty much forever with Neon Genesis. But I'll, I'll add one thing, though, maybe maybe a generation back, and that was um, Dar Blazers. Mm. That was, uh, you know, it, it was an adaption of Space Battleship Yamato, a famous Japanese anime, and it came out in the late 70s. Well, actually, it came out in the early 70s, but it got to the U.S. in a dub in the late 70s. For, and it was a cartoon, so it was put on for you know, children's consumption. And it was the first <laughs> time that you would have the idea of a of a of a narrative season for a cartoon right and and it kind of ruined me in a way because i'd look at the shows of the day right because star war uh, sorry uh, star blazers had uh, star blazers the, if you're unfamiliar with the story it's about a a crew on uh, of a spaceship that's going to that has to travel outside of the galaxy to find get a machine and bring it back to earth to decontaminate it before everybody dies on earth it has a clock limit you know basically you have it's set over a, a year right nothing like that had been on american television adult or 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 childlike you know what i mean you know you had mini series and whatnot but the idea of taking a season of television you know and this is a cartoon, so there's like maybe 30 or 40 episodes in the season. And just telling one continuous story that, you know, each episode relied on the last and there'd be arcs within the story. It was very sophisticated storytelling. And watching that show and every other show after that just kind of comp- paled in complexity to the cartoon that I was watching. Mm-hmm. See, if you watch whatever, you know, the network was crapping out at that time, you know, <laughs> watching, you know, or even the other Saturday morning cartoons, it ruined me because that was the first, it was a show that didn't insult my intelligence mm-hmm. as a 10-year-old. Every other show after that didn't think that, that kids were sophisticated enough to, to follow a storyline like that. That Star Blazers was like one of the, like uh, a very... Where Space Battleship Yamato was was a very um, for American TV for my generation was the one that kind of separated you know just, just kind of blew my mind and be like this is what storytelling could be mm-hmm. you know and and that kind of if we're going to circle back to to nerding or, or role playing games and things like that you know it kind of gave me the idea of 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 doing big story arcs in a game. Okay. You know, and how and how those kind of things could could interact. So it's not just we weren't just being murder hobos. You know, we weren't just being <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> 
coming up, more nerding out and geeking it forward with Neil Robinson and Garrick Perry of the Begin podcast. The fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Comics. Let me just say this off the gate. As a, as a again, a professed omni-nerd, someone who was my entire life loved comics. I, in fact, stopped by the comic store today because it's Wednesday, it's comic book day, before I came into work. I find myself at, at, at this crossroads of, you know, right now, comics are pop culture. A few years ago, in my other group, I play in the Problematics, Five MCs, we had a DJ. I have always written nerd stuff into my lyrics and my songs. And there was a period where everyone was like, you have to rewrite that because it's too nerdy and no one will like it. And I stood my ground, and here we are now. All of those songs, I, I, I point back to, and I'm like, you see that reference to, <laughs> to you know, Adam Warlock back in the day, or you know, a, a Destructicons kind of thing. I, I find myself grasping as to how we got here. You know, I, I, I can see it. You know, it makes sense that comics came into the pop culture. You know, pretty much comic books are like storyboards. You know, for, you know, your imagination. Uh, but I still am baffled that it happened so quickly. I blame the Ultimates, but... That is okay. I mean... Uh, that's accurate. <laughs> and and so to, just to, to walk back, the Ultimates is a... The cliff notes of this is that basically all the Marvel stuff in movies that you know now came out of the Ultimates series when that happened in the Marvel Universe. Now, the Marvel Universe for decades has basically reinvented itself every, let's say, 15-ish years. Yep, 10. Yeah, 10-ish years. But what Ultimates did was make it a little more real-slash-MTVE. And there wasn't anything wrong with that. Like, there's there's absolutely nothing. Well, they literally cast actors of the time in the roles of Marvel characters. Yeah. They drew them like it. I mean, I, I that was Mark Millar, right? Okay. Yeah. Was that the, the, the Ultimates who were the kind of an alternate version of the Avengers were sitting around and saying like, hey, who would play you in a movie? Mm-hmm. Right? And each, each um, character would spout off who would play them. And at the end, Nick Fury, who was said, well, of course, Samuel Jackson, and who was drawn like Samuel Jackson. So that that comic was was almost a, I don't want to say, maybe even a proof, a proof of concept of being like, hey, make a movie with this dude as Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, four years or seven years later, there, there it is. basically did. Well, and I think, too, to for listeners who don't want to get it, so the Marvel Universe, the 616, as they say, as Klee said, is, was kind of self-contained. Things happened in it, but it it all was connected. And, you know, there have been other alternative Earths and realities, but I think the Ultimates universe was the first time they were like, we're going to take all of our stories and try and make it super modern. You know, I feel like they, they took the the format or the, the formula that Image had, taking some of the, the new writers. You know, they, so Mark yeah. Millar was young. Uh, even Jonathan Hickman, when he came in, was very young. Brian Hitch was the artist for the Ultimates. Um, the, you know, they were fresh in their careers. And so what they did was instead of rehashing what the X-Men were, they made it a secret government experiment. You know, they, they 
wanted to appeal to a younger generation. And I think, as Neil said, it, it was a proof of concept that mm-hmm. those first couple Ultimates, the Ultimate Fantastic Four, I think Ultimate X-Men was in that the mm-hmm. three, those drew in a ton of readers. And, th- you know, there are people now today who that was their first introduction to the Marvel Universe yep. was the Ultimates. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I feel it's about time we talk Milestone. What do you guys feel about Milestone and the return of Milestone? Is anyone reading that? Oh, I, I did. Oh, uh, I see. <laughs> I feel like... Um, oh, wait. To, to let listeners know, yeah. Milestone... Uh, is an imprint that was created by black writers, authors, and artists, and it was separate from D- DC owned Milestone. They, they owned the, the, the imprint, imprint, but but it was a, it was a separate, its own thing. Yeah, uh, and it's been folded back into DC continuity over the years. So, well, um, it was began in the '90s, and the kind of the architect of it was Dwayne McDuffie, who also was kind of the mastermind showrunner slash showrunner of the Justice League cartoon and the Static Shock cartoon. And he, he also created the character of Static, mm-hmm. who's, I would venture to say that Static is the most successful, independently created black superhero character. But um, the, the relaunch of Milestone, I had, I felt like it, it, it suffered a bit from the lack of Dwayne McDuffie's guidance in there, because he was, he he passed uh, a while back, and um, Dwayne McDuffie and and Christopher Priest were kind of the two best writers in that stable. And if you guys don't know, Christopher Priest wrote the seminal run on Black Panther, the one that basically the the movies borrowed heavily conceptually from his run of comics. He 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 created the Dormelage, the different cities. And the the vibrant the idea of the vibranium mound being a mind. He created the character of Everett Ross. He he basically everything that you know and like about the Black Panther, with the exception of um, of Mbaku, is is kind of his thing. Like Okoye, mm-hmm. all those characters is a Chris, Christopher Priest created those things. Rewrote for Miles Down. And without the, the without those talents there. And maybe this is just crotchety me waving my cane, but I, I some of the the motivations and, and interactions and conflicts that arose in in the new milestone just didn't land with me. Well, and also, you know, going back to the image thing that that when milestone came out, there was that shock value too. I remember the vividly the cover of the first static was "Don't start none, won't be none." Right, <laughs> and it's it's something that can only happen like the '90s. It just it's so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I agree. I think some of that energy is not there. And, and as you said, Static is their Spider-Man. Still, when I go to San Diego Comic-Con, there, there's at least two Static sightings that I've seen. And uh, Static has not been in a cartoon in, for years and just recently came back. So, you know, I think the characters are still viable. I think the treatment by DC, like when, it, when DC folded it back in, I think they did a disservice. Yeah. Uh, I think they've created, you know, two of the the best kind of black characters in comics, Static and Rocket. Rocket is the, the quote-unquote sidekick to character Icon, who is Milestone Superman equivalent. And Rocket is a, is a young woman who anchors Icon into humanity. She's a great character. I think, actually, you know, the new Milestone does Rocket a little better than the old Milestone did, I think. We want to make a quick minute on on video games. 
Because if we go on board games, that's a whole other. That's a, that's a whole other thing. And we, I'm down because well, I'll have to start talking about my terrible Kickstarter habit oh, we'll and be very real. Definitely. So, what's your system? I am and probably always have... will be a PC Damn. gamer. Uh, you know, I, I did have Nintendo back in the day. I'm, I'm still PlayStation One and Two guy. But when I went to college, again, a lot of my freedom. You know, that was the first time I had my own computer. I needed to get a, a new computer and they had to get a scholarship and a grant to get a computer. And then we had the Ethernet back then. So, oh, Lordy, that, that, it was on. We still have Ethernet now. And well, but it was when the Ethernet first <laughs> came, I know. came out. Uh, so my early Diablo, I, I tell people to this day, one of my favorite games was Action Quake, which was a mod of Quake where you could actually leg shots or, or headshots. So much like in The White Wolf, like you would you, you could bleed out on if you didn't bandage yourself. And that's where my love of PC gaming came from and still continues to this day. I found myself, again, the pandemic changed a lot of things. So I was able to, to game more. But prior to the pandemic, the Alchemistics was touring and I was working at, at Bishop's Lounge and, and my time was filled up. So I couldn't game as much. And I found myself being able to get back into it. And I love it. There's a I was telling Neil that I'm currently playing Disco Elysium. And it's such a good game. It's such a good game in terms of, you know, we were talking about you know, murder hobos and whatnot. Like the Disco Elysium kind of flips those role-playing games on its head and it's this really cerebral experience. And, and um, you know, that's where I am, Neil. What, what's, your, what's your preferred? Right now, um, I have, a, well, I downloaded uh, Baldur's Gate 3 like last year. I've just been kind of sitting there playing, waiting for you, playing pieces of it, and that game looks too immersive. And you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta live life, so <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to sit on that. But I've been playing, um, I've been playing Stellaris, oh. which is a uh, which which forced foisted he foisted that game on me. <laughs> there was a foisting. <laughs> it's uh, kind of a resource managing uh, galactic civilization kind Space of building 4X. game. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's right up alley, and and um, uh, Garrick was my was my dealer for that particular. I did, I did, I slid in his DMs, was like, here, have this, you homie, should. just try this, <laughs> <laughs> and then we ended up here. Uh, I would say that in terms of just in our brief minute about video games, it's one thing I've loved during the pandemic. I was able to, to play not only D and D, but we started doing a a weekly collaborative co-op game. So there's been a great expansion of things you could play from everything from Don't Starve Together. Um, Children of Morta. Yes, that's phenomenal. Uh, so you know, playing playing a bunch of games like that, uh, but also I think the some of the storytelling in, in some of the newer games is really excellent. Like the medium has always been a place for people to tell epic stories and for you to immerse yourselves in it. But I think that outside of your your triple A games, there are a lot of indie games that are just doing great stuff. Uh, I think maybe you had mentioned Hades before. Like oh, you know, and and. Things that are are kind of turning genres on its head. I feel like of all the nerddoms, video games is the easiest to reconnect with black community because it's easier to get somebody to come over and maybe play games. Like somebody will come over and sit and play Goldeneye and hang out and then you have that to talk about as opposed to going like, here, you should read these five issues of of Mm -hmm. Sandman and we'll talk later. But I don't know if that's a singular thing in my community. I'm not entirely sure why that is. I mean, maybe it's just like the medium of the screen kind of joining people together. I think you, you hit it, hit on the nail on the head. Even, for instance, D&D, you, you have to use your imagination, create this character. In video games, while there are character creation aspects, they're doing the heavy lifting. 
you know, my, my brother is super into fighting games. So Street Fighter 6 is there. And pretty much if I go over his house, that's like all he's going to want to do is play Street <laughs> Fighter 6. But there is that kind of like, you know, let's get together, turn off our brains and, and play something that's mm-hmm. easier in video games than it is in even board games. You know, it's just the, the rules are done behind the screen. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit extra escapism when life is already hard. Yes. Fair enough. Neil Robinson and Garrick Perry, thank you so much for coming in. Yay. I hope your podcast gets off the gets back on its feet and that you invite me on. Well, I think we'll have to do that specifically for that reason. Just I think saying. so too. And thanks for the opportunity. This is always great. Thanks for oh. continuing the show and uh, for blacking in and up. Oh, Absolutely. especially this week. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to both of them for coming on and let me just be myself. Friday on the show, back to the Juneteenth fun times. Rusty Polsgrove of Arise Springfield about their Juneteenth celebration here in Springfield. Arise is a wicked cool organization that's done a lot for Springfield. Tackled issues for renters, issue of asthma for the city, and more. So we'll get into that as well. We'll also hear our conversation with Revan Schindler and Trenda Lofton of the Compost Co-op, including their foray into real estate and how important housing is to their mission. Our director is Tony vicariously taking on my stress done. Our engineer is Bart doing a pretty good Betsy impression, Rankin. Our technical team is Betsy Vicariously Invisible Today, Langto, Kara, Best Self-Deprecating Laughter Ever, Foster, and Punk Rude Boy Dubay. Thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Bad Rabbits, Curtis Mayfield, Tuxedo, Black Eyed Peas, Tony Allen, Breadwinner, and all of y'all. I'm Khalees Smith. Join me tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.